Good morning and welcome. I uh, too wanted to just tell you all thank you so much for the appreciation lunch last Sunday and, and for the notes and chocolate and all of the, the little gift at the end yet just kind of put the icing on the cake. But yesterday I was studying and I pulled out my box and I read all the notes. I almost ate chocolate, but I didn't. <laughs> and I listened to all the music. Um, Vassal had recorded all that and he sent it to us and I listened to all the songs and uh, I just was a little overwhelmed, so thank you so much for that. This morning in devotions, Brent exhorted us to, uh, to lead out, to take leadership seriously, um, using the example of uh, Moses. Today's message is about submitting to those leaders and submitting to authority. It's not an easy message to preach, and it's even a harder message to live out. And uh, I'm in the middle of it with you. I feel like God is showing. Let me just say, I, uh, I used to look at ministers up here when I was little. For some reason, I just did. And I hope none of you do that, because it does not feel that way. Sometimes you feel like you're, you know, why am I preaching something that I don't really have a handle on myself? I'm, I'm just learning right along with you. And so... That's what, I, sometimes God shows me things in my study, and um, it's, it's, sometimes it's more for me, I think, than it is for you all. So that's, that's what the message is. is I, I'm following, I'm going on in First Peter here, where we've been studying First Peter, and the um, passage today is about submitting to those in authority. So the title of the message is Submission to Authority in the Spirit of Meekness. Submission to Authority in the Spirit of Meekness. Turn in, to, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Starting in verse 13. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the and for the praise of them that do well for so is the will of god that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of god honor all men love the brotherhood fear god honor the king Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps." Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. On into chapter 30. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, 
while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I'm going to stop there. I, I, uh, I don't know about you, but I think one of the hardest parts of denying self in not just the Christian life, but just the human condition is, is submitting to authority. I think submitting to authority is one of the hardest things to do, and especially when the authority is abused or, or you suffer injustice from authority. You know, if, if everything in this world was perfect, if the authorities over us were always perfect, it wouldn't be that hard. But many times, it's, it's, it's not that way because none of us are perfect. All of us have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And I think, uh, I think uh, to, to submit to authority is one of the, the hardest, one of the harder things, I think, that God calls us to, especially in the area of... Um, government, um, and various other things. So this morning, the message is on submission, submission to authority. And Peter here uses three different examples of where we are to submit. The first one is submitting to the ordinance of man, which would be government or governors. You could even say, it could even maybe mean uh, church leadership. It could mean other kinds of leadership, whatever. The governance, the ordinance of man, and I think he's specifically meaning government here in as the government of our nation. He also talks about servants and masters, and um, I'll get more into that. And then he also talks about wives to their husbands. And it was interesting, why do you think he used these three examples? I think maybe possibly because these three examples are places where power and authority can be abused very quickly. I think we all know and we all have our ideas of what the government is like. Um, today we don't have as much servants and masters, but we do have employees, employers. We have, um, well, I'll get into that some more. There's various different ones I think that, that this could be talking about. And then we have wives and husbands. And you know, husbands can abuse their authority very quickly if they're not careful. And so I, I, I don't know if that's why Peter gave these three, but I think there are three areas where quickly the authority can be abused. Something also I just want to mention is I'm going to use examples to help us understand the scriptures. And I'm going to use examples that we find ourselves in today. And I just... Don't, I want you to know that I'm not trying to step on toes. I just want to help you understand. And I think sometimes when we use examples of things that we do right now today, it, it can help us maybe understand a little bit better. 
The other thing I want to mention is I'm going to talk some about injustice. Uh, and, I, and I didn't think about it till I was getting ready this morning. My sermon was all studied, and I was getting ready to print it out soon. And I thought about it, that I'm going to talk a lot about injustice, which is suffering wrongfully, especially when, you know, take, for instance, uh, you probably have heard of the name Jack Phillips. He's suffered injustice from the government for choosing to not bake a cake for a same-sex couple. And he's also in the news again for some other things that he chose not to do. That's suffering injustice. And sometimes we suffer injustice from authority. And I want to I talk about that because it, it says it in the scriptures here about injustice. But along with injustice, I, I wish I wouldn't have used the word quite so often because I, I also want to just talk about how we relate to the authorities over us even when we struggle with how they go about doing things. Because sometimes it's not that we're really suffering wrongfully, but we just, they, they just seem to not get it. They don't know how to, they don't know how to administrate, or, or they just don't know how to really do it right. If it was me, I could do it right. And so when I, when I say the word injustice, keep that in mind. It's, it's not always, I don't always mean suffering wrongfully. I also mean how we treat and how we respond to those who we struggle with their leadership. Because I think it's probably something we all have to deal with. Actually, I'm pretty positive it is. So first of all, let's move to the first one. We are to submit to the government. Why? Why are we to submit to the government? Well, it says it in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And again, when you start studying things, you're like, I read the scripture, I don't know how many times, and I never noticed these things. But verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? Someone tell me. It's right there. For the Lord's sake. Because God told you to. Because he has placed them in authority over you. You are to submit to them. By the way, I, I, I missed this. The word submit has to do with, it means to arrange yourself under. It's, you know, sometimes we think of submit as just being under someone's thumb. And it's, it's, it's you choosing to go under someone's authority. It is you choosing to put yourself under. Just like the, one of the greatest examples in these three examples is, is a wife is to submit herself. It is putting herself, arranging herself under her husband and him being her head. Same way here with the government. We are to arrange ourselves under it rather than rebelling against it. We are to submit to the government. And I think it's important to remember that Peter is talking here to people that were dispersed. And I think they were dispersed because of persecution. And so, you know, we in America here, we, we have a democratic government. We, the people, decide who is in office. Not we here particularly, because we choose not to get involved in vote and things like that. But the whole democratic system is, it is the people put in place who the governor, who the president, our elected officials, all of that. So there's a choice there, but in the Bible's times, they did not have democratic governments whatsoever. It was very, you know, survival of the fittest kind of thing. It was very much, and, and, and sometimes they would, it was, it was all about who overpowered the next one, and they would subject Christians to torture and and martyr them, and, and it was sometimes awful. 
So I don't know if right at this moment they were experiencing bad persecution, but they would experience persecution. And the government that Peter is talking about here was not, I don't think it was one like we're used to. God has placed rulers and authorities over us, even the oppressive ones, even the oppressive ones, even here in America. We the people get to choose who is president. God in the end has the ultimate authority of who is put in that office. And he is calling you and I to submit ourselves under that authority. And part of submitting is obeying. Now obviously, scriptures also say that if the government asks us to do something that is against God's word, that we are to follow God instead of that. I think most of us know that the government doesn't always have the best interests of the people in mind. And so sometimes wrong, injustice happens. We sometimes suffer wrongfully because of the government. And yet we are to honor and respect. Maybe even when we don't always obey, we are to honor and respect our government. And I think that even has to do with how we talk about our government how we talk about our elected officials. And I, I think most of us would know that, you know, our nation is becoming more and more secular. And the more secular it becomes, the more the government is going to be against Christianity. And we're seeing some of that in our nation. There, there's that happening in other nations where the more secular a nation becomes, the more against God they become. They want nothing to do with Christianity. They want nothing to do with Christ. And we're not really, you know, here in our group, we haven't experienced that really yet, but it could happen. But either way, we are to submit. We are to place ourselves under the government. And same thing with paying our taxes. The government asks us to pay taxes. Now, obviously, I try to pay as little as I need to. If there's, if there's things where you can get a, oh, what do you call it, a deduction, well, that's very handy. But to, even though most of us know the government uses tax money for things that we would not, that are evil, that are not good, it is not our duty to exclude taxes from the government because, well, they're not using it right anyway. God has placed them over us. We are called, even Jesus paid taxes. He told Peter to go out and catch a fish, take the coin out, and go pay the taxes. The government is over us. God has placed them over us. We are to arrange ourselves under it. Servants are to submit them, some, themselves to their masters. Servants are to submit to their masters. I want to just, the word servant here, it, it's a little difficult. I have an ESV study Bible, and um, I use that to study a lot, and, and I, I like to compare translations. And it, it says in, in there that the word for servant can be a little difficult to translate sometimes because the, the Hebrew or Greek word can, can have a wide-ranging Meaning, it could mean a slave, all the way up to a servant that has, gets a wage and, and might even own property. So, in the ESV at least, they often use the context to decide if they're going to use the word slave or servant or bondservant. Here, in, in uh, First Peter, I'm reading the King James, but in my ESV, they call it a servant. And so, I, I think we would be fairly right and maybe thinking it's, it's not probably maybe not as much of a slave as it is actually a servant that maybe gets a wage. Maybe a little bit like an employee, employer. Maybe not, uh, there's probably still a master, which is what they, they say, servants to their masters. But I, I have a feeling it's a little bit not quite as, you know, where we were at slaves like we think of slaves. I think there's probably more 
more uh, leniency there between master and servant. And so we would say, well, we don't have masters and servants today, so how does that apply to us? And I, I really think it does apply because it's, again, talking about those in authority. We have job and a boss in our job. We always have a, if you have a job, you have a boss. Even if you work for yourself, uh, your boss might be uh, the uh, code officer that comes into the house to inspect the house. The boss might be your customer for a while. Um, you have job, if you have a job, if you're an employee, you have an employer. You have church, you have ministers. God has placed the ministers to oversee the church. Some of you have chosen to be a part of the fire department. You have a fire chief. You might choose to want, us as Mennonites especially, we have several different service units. We call them volunteer service units. Places to go serve. Or there's the mission field. If you go on the mission field or to one of these service places, you're likely going to be under an administrator of some kind. These are all areas where I think we can use the servant-master relationship. Again, it's maybe not quite the same context, but I think it still speaks in that same way. In any area of service, you're going to find yourself under authority. And then we have wives submit to their husbands. Even if the husband is ungodly, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Why? How can that happen? When they behold your chaste life, conversation means life, or your conduct, your, your behavior, coupled with fear. Wives, you have, a, 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 I don't know how to say it, you have a very, uh, you, you are very influential in your husband's lives. And I'm just going to say that even though I'm pretty sure most of you, or if not all of that are married here today, your husband is probably a Christian, tries to do his best in leading his family, but you still, even if your husband is godly, you have a huge impact on your husband just by the fact that you put yourself under his care and trust you and trust you're willing to trust him you 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 have an impact on his life because husbands can quickly abuse their authority if they're not careful we uh we men we like power we like fame we like uh might and strength and yet we are called to care and, our, and, and sometimes the wife doesn't always know what the husband's going to do next. You know, sometimes my wife asks me, well, what are you going to do about this? I don't know. I'll find out when we get there. Well, do you think that feels good? I don't even know what I'm going to do, let alone now she doesn't know what to do. I, I think I don't, it's interesting, through studying this scripture this time, I, I just became more aware of maybe what a woman has to go through to trust her husband. And I, I know I've, uh, we've talked about this before, and, and I think for, for wives, control can be a big issue because they want to control rather than submit because they don't always know what's going to happen. They don't always know what's going to be going on. And here Peter is saying, you're to submit. You're to submit. 
Now, my, my wife had it pretty easy. It's, it's much easier to, to trust a good old southern boy rather than a Yankee, but just kidding, it's not that way. I clearly remember the time that we were dating, and she goes, you know, learning to trust you is actually me, is an act of trusting God. When a woman trusts her husband, puts herself under her husband, she's actually trusting God. And a woman who is willing, not willing to put herself under her husband and trust him is choosing not to trust God. Because ultimately, even if you place your, yourself under your husband's care, you're ultimately trusting God to take care of you. And it says here that the women of old, the holy women, they would also trust God. It says in verse 5, for after this manner, first of all, let me read verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the same way, in the old time, in the Old Testament, the holy women also who trusted in God. So these women trusted in God. And then what did they do? They adorned themselves or they arranged themselves being in submission to their husbands. And then he throws out an example. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, I, I'm going to just sit on this a little bit. I, I find it interesting that he uses Abraham and Sarah for an example. Because we look at Abraham as a patriarch, and he is. It is through Abraham that we have the blessing of uh, the blessing of, of Christ, of salvation, the blessing of Abraham, that's through Abraham. So he is a patriarch. And it's easy to think that he probably served his family very well and did everything almost perfectly for his wife. But uh, first of all, marriages back then, I think, were a lot more arranged than they are today. You ladies, today, if you decide you don't want to date someone, you can just say, no, I'd rather not. And I don't know if they had as much say back then. And so, first of all, the marriage was arranged. But second, just, just take Abraham and Sarah here a little bit. Dwayne, if, if you would come home from the store one day and you would tell Rosie, you know, I think God is telling me to move, us to move. What do you think would happen? <laughs> well, in my house, it would cause a lot of, we would have to have a talk. <laughs> But I imagine the first question would be, huh, um, where? And you would say, well, I, I think just, he, I feel like he's telling me to move out west, out west. And next it'd be, well, well, what about the store? And what about the kids in school? And what about the grandkids? We can't leave the grandkids behind. And now Abraham and Sarah didn't have grandkids, just so you know, but just putting it in today's thought. And, and, and Dwayne says, well, we'll sell the store. We'll, we'll have money to, that'll give us money to travel. And um, we're just going to travel west. And when God tells us to settle down, we will settle down. Can you imagine, as a woman, if your husband would do that to you? I, I, I just never thought about it quite in that way before. But I have a feeling it took quite some trust to do that. That, that actually happened. God called Abraham out of a far country, and, and he took his family and left. And he didn't know where they were going to go until God told him to settle down. Okay? Something else that Abraham did that kind of um, 
Well, I might have the tendency to do this as well. So there was a famine in the land, and they went to Egypt for, I think if I have that right, I think there was a famine. Either way, they went to Egypt. And uh, Abraham told, Abraham's wife Sarah was very pretty, very beautiful woman. And uh, he told her, he said, now the Egyptians are going to notice that you're really pretty, and they're probably going to want to maybe even take you as a wife. And so I'm scared they're going to kill me because I'm your husband and they're going to want you. So just say that you're my sister and I'll say that I'm your brother and um, that way my life will be spared. Who is Abraham taking care of at this point? Abraham is taking care of himself. He is not taking care of his wife. And it happens. It actually happens. Pharaoh takes, some of the men tell Pharaoh there's a beautiful woman that just came to town and um, it's, it's this guy's sister, and, and he takes her, and, and she, he takes her as he's going to take her as his wife, and thankfully, with God's protection, nothing happens, and Pharaoh was angry when he finds out, actually, it's Abraham's wife, and it happens twice. He does it again. I'm not trying to pick on Abraham. I'm just saying it's interesting to me that he uses this example, and Sarah still called him Lord. She still submitted herself under him. The women of old of the Old Testament trusted in God and submitted to their husbands. You know, it takes a trust in God, as I mentioned before, to trust your husband. And I believe that meek and quiet spirit that it talks about here comes from that quiet trust in the Lord, even when you don't always know what your husband is going to do next. And Sarah submitted to Abraham, even through the unknown I want to talk a little bit about suffering injustice patiently and then having a spirit of meekness yet. Suffering injustice, and again, just to clarify, injustice is suffering wrongfully, but I also want to bring in the point of when you even just really struggle with your authority. You struggle with the one in authority over you. But suffering injustice, injustice is suffering wrongfully, abuse of authority, and because we live in a fallen world, we are going to struggle. We are going to suffer wrongfully sometimes because man has the ability to choose and man has been inflicted with or has the, the, the nature of sin. And, and so sometimes we suffer injustice because we are in a fallen world. We also suffer injustice because the world, the world system is in direct opposition to God. It does not like anything about God. And we suffer injustice from those in authority because of sin. Christ calls his children. You might think this can't be hardly true, but Christ calls his children to suffer injustice patiently. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. This is that right after he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And then in verse 19, he says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And then verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, you were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. You know, we talk about in baptism, we, are, we, we identify with his sufferings. 
When we come to Christ and we, we accept him in our hearts and, and we identify with him, we are identifying with his sufferings. And part of that is the injustice he suffered as a, as a child of God. You know, I think anybody in this world, godly or ungodly, will sometimes suffer some injustice. But Christians probably more than others because they live in a world that is against Christ. And if anyone suffered injustice, it is Christ. He was, and then it gives the example here in, in 1 Peter 2. I'm going to keep reading in verse 22. It's talking about the example of Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And in this nation, or, well, God gave us the ability to choose. But in some places, you don't always have the ability to choose as much. But in, in this nation, you know, we are a very independent people. And we can choose. If I don't like my boss, I can leave. If I don't like my church, I can leave. And for many people, if they don't like their marriage, they can leave. If I don't like any of my authority, I can leave. Nevertheless, you're always going to be under an authority. But usually, you can leave if you want to and try to find a better authority. The independent mindset says, I don't have to obey you. I don't have to do what you say. And yet, God is calling us, I think, to patiently endure some of the, whether it's suffering, injustice, or whether it's suffering, you know, there, it's true. Some people don't know how to administrate well. It's just true. I, I, I clearly remember a person, a good friend of mine, who, was, who went to a place to serve a service unit, and there was administration there that, that just struggled, really, really struggled. And this person was also in administration under the, the top you know, leaders. And, uh, and that person told me, they said, I don't have to stay here. I can just go. If they're going to act this way, I don't have to stay here. And the person decided to stay. And I watched a change happen in that person like I've never seen before. It was amazing. Where God used that injustice. God, and when I say injustice, okay, they, they didn't maybe suffer wrongfully like from a government perspective. But the administration struggled. It really did. And, and that person was willing to sit there and patiently endure some of the struggles and God was able to use that in that person's life. And what I'm trying to say here is Christ asks us, as, as children of God, we are called to, to suffer patiently, whether it is actually suffering from being condemned or accused of something you did not do, or whether it is just, just struggling with, they don't know what they're doing. And what I'm trying to say also is certainly there are times to leave a place. I, I'm not suggesting, even David, even David, when he was under Saul, he, he respected Saul, he, he, he still had him as an authority, but he did run. There are, I think, times when you do need to leave, whatever the option might, the, the situation, this isn't about that. But I think with our independent mind, we sometimes think, well, I can just leave, I don't have to stay here. And sometimes God is trying to teach you things that you can learn by sitting and being patient with that struggle. And then how are you going to handle that struggle? Are you willing to, to obey? Are you willing to sit there? And I, and I also want to mention that 
you know, I think there's times when we need to share with the administration or those in authority over us. You know, a wife should tell her husband where he might be lacking sometimes. A, um, a employee can tell his boss sometimes where maybe he could do a little better. It's not that you can't ever speak up. But the thing is, when the authority just keeps doing what they're doing, are you willing to patiently endure that for as long as God has you there? If God called you to the mission field and you have to work with this administrator that just doesn't have a clue what he's doing, did God all of a sudden call you back from the mission field or are you willing to stay there? The only reason I'm bringing these examples out is because it happens. It does happen. Same thing with churches. It happens. I'm not saying it's happening here. I'm just saying it's happening. It happens. And then I think... As Jesus said here, we are to learn, or not as Jesus, as Peter said, we are to learn from Christ's example that when he, when he suffered wrongfully, he suffered injustice, he was railed against. That word revile means to rail against him, where he is, it said the Pharisees accused him. He was accused vehemently. And what did he do? Did he, did he accuse back? No, he was quiet. He was just quiet. Patiently endured. When he was... When he was uh, accused, he, he also threatened not. When he suffered, in verse 23, it says, when he suffered, he threatened not. And then there's something in here again that I have never seen before or never noticed before. But in verse 23, it says, in the end of verse 23, it says this about Christ. Peter says, but Christ committed himself to him that judges righteously. And if there's a key verse, I think this is a key verse to help us patiently endure living under and submitting to authority, is committing ourselves to him who judges righteously. And today, if you ever find yourself suffering wrongfully, where you are accused of something, if the government ever actually really oppresses Christians, or, or a, a wife finds herself in an abusive relationship, or whatever it might be, we are to commit ourselves to one who judges righteously. God will judge are you okay with that? Or do you have to take matters into your own hand? And do I have to take matters in my own hand? Am I okay with committing it to him who judges righteously? We are to follow his example. And then just briefly here, having a spirit of meekness. Here in, in chapter 3 of, of uh, 1 Peter, it talks about how the women, in verse 4, rather than adorning themselves with beautiful clothes and jewelry and all that, they are to adorn themselves with a quiet man of the heart. Even the ornament, which is a, an ornament is to make you look beautiful. It's a meek and quiet spirit. A meek and quiet spirit. I took some time to study up a little bit on meekness, and I was blown away by what I learned about meekness. I believe the only way we can patiently endure suffering, injustice, or patiently endure those struggles that we have with authorities sometimes is through meekness. And it is meekness that kept Christ from retaliating. And did you know that? I didn't realize this, but in the, in the few times that Jesus said how you are to follow me, he did say, you are to be meek like I am meek. Christ was meek, and we are to be meek like him. 
in my, uh, I have a Bible app that I use to study, and I, I came across their definition of meekness that I thought was just very fascinating. Meekness is a mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and then it had this big write-up. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek men are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend them against injustice. Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict, that he is using them to purify his elect, and that he will deliver his elect in his time. Gentleness, or meekness, is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. That gentle, the gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. I wish I would have written it on my overhead and put it up there, because it's, it's just something you should soak in a little bit. It's, it's a beautiful write-up of what meekness is. But meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually strength. Again, the, the easiest thing to do is to retaliate. You know, when someone does something to you, if someone hits you on the one cheek, the Bible says you're supposed to turn the other cheek, that's actually meekness because the easier thing to do is hit them back. But strength, strength is, able, is being able to, to let them hit the other cheek. It was strength that kept Christ on that cross instead of coming down. Because those, that, did you know that, well, yeah, you know, the Pharisees and them, they were accusing him and saying, if you're the Messiah, come down off that cross. And, you know, the easiest thing to do would be to show my strength and come down off that cross. And instead, Jesus stayed up there. That took intense strength to stay up there. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is yielding our rights to God so he can demonstrate his peace and power through us. I, meekness is also an attitude toward God which manifests itself in gentleness toward others. There's just a short little story I want to read out of this book called Doing What Comes Spiritually. This is a book I got way back when I was at Calvary Bible School. It's about the spirit, fruit, and gifts and all that. And it's just a short little story about Booker T. Washington. Most of you have heard of Booker T. Washington. Very famous man today. He's not alive, of course, but he was considered a famous man. But at one time, because he was colored, people looked down on, on him. But this was after he was already president of uh, Tuskegee Institute. So he was already fairly well known. But um, one day he was walking the street and a woman yelled at him and said, Come here, chop some wood. Washington gladly went in the walk, took off his coat, chopped the wood and carried it into the house and left again. A servant girl recognized him and told her mistress. The woman was horrified at what she had done. She went to apologize. It's entirely all right, madam, the great Negro replied. I delight to do favors for my friends. She learned a lesson she never forgot, and with her wealth, she became one of the strongest financial supporters of the college. That was meekness. If he would not have been meek, he'd have said, look, I'm Booker T. Washington. I do not need to cut your wood. And instead, he just gently took it and did it. I, I, sadly, I don't know if I would have been willing to. Meekness is an attitude toward God which manifests itself in gentleness toward others. And I do also believe that, that meekness is one of the best ways we can display the character of Christ because he was meek. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 21, 4-5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh, thy king cometh, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. Because Christ was meek, we are called to be meek as well. And I do believe meekness is only possible through God's spirit and through just trusting him. It's where we get that quiet spirit. That quiet spirit is not that it talks about in the ornament of a quiet spirit. It's not that you can't ever talk or anything. It's that quiet rest of trusting in God. And that trusting in God allows you to submit to the authority over you. Let's humbly submit ourselves to the authorities God has placed over us and meekly endure the injustice or maybe the the struggle that can come sometimes from those authorities what is God trying to teach you in the authority that you struggle with right now and let's reflect the character of God through meekness let's kneel for prayer God I thank you for this time for this day and for each one that's here today thank you for the corporate worship we've enjoyed together here today And God, I thank you for each one, their life and and who they are that are present here. And I just pray, God, you know the needs of each one of us. You know our struggles. You know our joys. And I just pray that we would all be able to, to, to have that spirit of meekness that allows us to calmly endure the struggles, the injustices, whatever might come by submitting to authority. Lord, you've placed authorities over us. And while there are times when maybe um, leaving or doing something different is, is, is the right answer, many times there are things you want to teach us through those over us, even when they do things wrong. And I just pray that you would help us to have that patient meekness to endure whatever suffering you call in our lives. I commit this time to you. I commit each one to you. May you guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.